How are we doing this morning, Prof? Good? Awesome, awesome. Well, I want to start off with saying um, happy Mother's Day, or as we say in French, as my sister beautifully said, uh, bon fit de jour de mama. Today, what I want this message to be is I want it to be a thank you to the moms. Moms, you do so much for us, and you don't receive the credit for it. And we can never, ever thank you enough. Several years ago, a video surfaced, and it was essentially about a man interviewing people online about a job. Without telling the name of the job, he told them the description of what the job required. 24-7, no vacation days, along with other things that we would not want to do occupationally. And then he said, guess what? You'll never get paid for it. The job is being a mother. So moms, thank you. Thank you. This message is a thank you to you moms. And I want to say thank you by highlighting three women in Scripture. And these three women are not well known. And I intentionally chose that because most of what moms do, there's no books written about it. There's no movie written about you at 2 in the morning holding your little one. There's no books about you or, or movies about you uh, looking out for your little one. So as a mom, you may feel and you may go unnoticed. We ultimately know our Lord does not let you go unnoticed. He realizes and recognizes what you do. I picked these three moms as well because I believe these three moms reflect the women, the people in this room. You guys ready to go? Awesome. The first mom that we encounter, the first woman, is found in Genesis chapter 16, the first book of Scripture. Her name is Hagar, or Hagar, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Hagar is the slave of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Not only is she a slave, but she's also an immigrant from Egypt. I imagine there's moms in here who are potentially immigrants. You come from a country that you are familiar with. You had community where you were at. And because of those different circumstances, you are now in this country, and it's, un- it's unfamiliar to you, potentially. A place of not your birth. And like Hagar, you too potentially are an immigrant. Now, the thing about immigrants is immigrants usually don't have a voice in society. They can speak out but no one really hears them. And in sometimes, in some societies, they're told what to do. And we see it in Hagar. Uh, Hagar is, is, is a slave of, of, of her mistress, Sarah. And at one point, uh, Sarah says, hey, Hagar, I want you to go sleep with the tribal chieftain, Abraham. And Hagar, because of the potential rise that she may receive in the community, agrees to this. And eventually she gets pregnant. And by the way, Hagar, your child won't belong to you. Belong to someone else. She couldn't fight back. She couldn't say no to that. Now, maybe because of arrogance, she begins to um, be confident or arrogant towards her mistress, Sarah, who gets upset, and the text says she begins to abuse them, to mistreat her, which is the idea of bringing her as low as possible. And so because of her mistreatment, Hagar runs away, more than likely going back to Egypt where she's from. My family came to the States at different times. Mom came first in 94. 
She came here in America with my brother Joel, who was about one years old, pregnant with my sister Karen. She lands in Dallas. There's a small Congolese community there, but she wasn't accepted there. She then gets on a bus with a one-year-old, travels from Dallas-Fort Worth all the way to Washington, D.C. Gets there, expects to find help there, but also rejected. Gets back on the bus and goes back to DFW. She gets to DFW, she's trying to find a place, someone promises her a place, picks her up, and drops in the middle of nowhere in Dallas. She says, wait here, I'll come back for you. No one came back. I remember calling my dad in the Congo and saying, hey, I'm done. I want to come back home. It's too hard. Too difficult. This is where Hagar is at. Running from the difficulties that she is experiencing as an immigrant. As she's returning home, we're told in Genesis 16 that the angel of the Lord encounters her in the desert. As we know, theologically, the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ, Christ before the incarnation. And so Christ meets her there and says, hey, go back to your masters, and I will bless you through this. You have a son, and your son will also be great. Guess what Hagar does? When faced with the option to keep running, she chooses to obey the Lord and go back to her place of suffering. She chose to endure. So she returns. And eventually she gives birth to a son, but the misery and the mistreatment doesn't end after producing an heir for Abram. It continues. And eventually she and her son are sent to the desert to die. She did all that she was told to do for her masters. And then she's kicked out. Now, most of us have read the story, have heard about the story. Uh, my little kids have a little storybook Bible. It might mention Hagar in there, but we neglect Hagar. But really, she is the victim in this story. Abram and Sarah are not the heroes in this part of the story. It's Hagar, the immigrant mother. And so here she is with her little one, young one, experienced, has experienced injustice, and is left in the place of oppression. Place of death, place where that's barren, where no life is found. I'm currently studying James Cone right now. He's an African American theologian. And James Cone is uh, basically says God is the God of the oppressed. He identifies over and over again with those who are victims, Amen. those who are rejected, those who are the outcasts, those who we might say are the immigrants. And we see it in our passage here because God meets her in the desert when running with her son. They're, they're running, and her son's going to die. They're out of water. And so she leaves her son, doesn't want to watch, her, watch him die. And then she's go, she goes a distance, and she's crying. We're told God meets her there and says, Hagar, there's a well over there. There's water and life for you and your little one. Hagar immigrant mom endured. And in her endurance, God met her where she's at. And because of this, scholars will, will tell us that Hagar, not Abraham, not Adam, not Noah, Hagar is the first person to encounter the pre-incarnate Christ. And is the first one to give a name unto God. 
In fact, in verse um, 13, she says, uh, we're told that she named the Lord who spoke to her, say, you are El Roy. For she said, in this place, in the desert, the place of death, the place of dying, a place where no one hears me, you, God, have heard and you have seen me. I've seen the one who sees me. The first person to encounter God in a unique way. And the first person to give a name to the creator is the immigrant mom. So moms in here, you're immigrants. You've left what's familiar. You may not have a voice. You're probably experiencing injustice. Know this. Our God is attentive to your weeping. He's aware of your injustice. In fact, you might even say that because the founders of the Jewish people, Abram and Sarah, mistreated the Egyptian immigrant, Hagar, several generations later, the Hebrew people were mistreated by the Egyptians. And when God delivered the, the Israelites from Egypt, he tells them carefully and over and over again, do not forget the immigrants. Don't forget the aliens in your, in your midst. Don't forget the foreigners, because you once were a foreigner. And it's possibly because this Hagar story. In fact, the name Hagar is close to the Hebrew word for immigrant, alien, and foreign. Hagar is the immigrant mother who endured. This is a picture of my mom. Because, of, because she endured. After experiencing hardship, my dad said, hey, stick it out. Stick it out. And by God's grace, able to find a small apartment, gave birth to my sister Karen. It wasn't easy, but she endured. And because of that, my dad a year later came to the States. And my sister and I came a year and a half after him. I would not be here today if she did not endure as an immigrant mom. Mothers. We thank you for your endurance. For some, as immigrant mothers, struggling, enduring so that we or kids don't have to. For others, thank you for enduring through the difficulties of kids, giving birth to them, raising them, putting up with them, us, and so much more. Thank you, moms. For enduring. The second mom we encounter, her story is found in 1 Kings chapter 3. And the context is King Solomon, the son of David, is on the throne. What's happened is there's two women who are prostitute mothers, and there's a whole story there that I won't get into for now, but they're living together. It just so happened that their birth both gave birth, they both gave birth, apologies, to kids around the same time. And for our sake, I'm giving names. We'll call one Gina, and the other we'll call, let's say, Brooklyn. Okay, Gina and Brooklyn. One night, while they are um, both sleeping, and in those days there's no bassinets or cribs, and so kids, like in most parts of the world, they sleep with you as a mom. Gina, after nursing her little one, goes back to sleep, and the sad, awful things ha happen where she rolls over a kid and the kid dies. 
Instead of waking up and doing the right thing, she gets up, takes her baby, and trades her baby with Brooklyn's baby. Next morning, Brooklyn wakes up, sees that her baby is not alive, and notices, that's my baby. That's not mine. Confronts Gina, and their fight goes to trial, goes before the king. Standing before the king, the two ladies are fighting and saying, hey, it's my baby, no, it's my baby, hers die, no, hers die. They're going back and forth about whose child this is. The king gives a verdict. Okay. I'll do the unthinkable. Living baby will be cut in half, and each will receive a piece of the baby. Gina, probably out of bitterness and anger, says, great, great verdict. Do it, king. But we're told in verse 26 of 1 Kings, uh, 1 Kings 3, the woman whose son was alive in our made-up scenario, Brooklyn, spoke to the king because she felt great compassion for her son. My Lord, give the living baby to her, but please don't kill her. This is from great compassion. She loved her baby to the point where she'll say, hey, even if I can't have my own baby, as long as maybe my baby will be alive, give her to her. That's what love is. I love you even if it costs me something. Even if I cannot have you as I want to have you, I want the best for you. I'm willing to do whatever it takes for that. I'm told that from the time a baby is conceived in mom's womb to when they're born, moms have this love for the little ones that is radical, that is crazy. I think of, for example, animals. Uh, they say the worst place to be is between a lion or lioness, mama bear, or even a chicken, and the cubs or the chicks. The worst place to be. Why? They'll do whatever it takes to get rid of the danger to the little ones. My wife Kelly, been blessed to have two little ones, Ambrose and Mela, little knuckleheads. And you'll see them running around, but I've seen her display this, where she will show love, sacrifice what she has for them, her time, her, her body, her, her energy, her sleep for little ones. Why? That's what love is. That's what moms do. And King Solomon knew this. And when he heard what Brooklyn said, he decided to give the baby to Brooklyn. Because truly she was the mom who loved sacrificially. True love. Moms, we thank you for loving us sacrificially, even when it cost you what you wanted, because you cared about us more than yourself. Thank you for your love. If Brooklyn, her story as a mom, can be easily missed, our final mom today, her story is never mentioned. But as I was reflecting on this passage or this message this week and, and, and weeks before that, I saw her story in so many moms, so many women 
in our society. The story is Christ is going through a city and he sees a funeral procession happen. She's a widow, which means he's lost her husband. And now her son is gone, which basically means in that culture, in that time, she's the bottom of the social ladder. No income from her husband. And her son, who might be able to work for her, is also gone. And Jesus sees her, goes to the boy and says, hey, get up. And the boy gets up and gives the boy back to his mother. Okay, why this story on Mother's Day? Well, I'm glad you asked. Her story is easy to miss, the mom in this story. But I believe it can speak, it does speak to some moms, to some women in this room. There are moms in here who've been blessed to have little ones. There's some moms in here who have been blessed and are blessed to see the little ones grow up and do well in life. There's some women in this room who want to have kids, who desire to have children, but for whatever reason, they can't. Some women in here, some moms in here who have had kids, and their kids have passed. The mom in our story to this morning, I think, speaks to such moms and women. Theologically, I don't believe that God causes evil or bad things. He can't. He's the good, as some theologians call him. However, over and over again, God uses the bad and evil things of the broken world to reveal who he is, to do something unique and special. In verse 13 of this passage, we're told this. When the Lord saw her, the mom who lost her husband years prior, who now has lost her son, says he had compassion, had compassion for her. Now, it's possible that when he saw her, he's thinking about his own mom, who we presume at this point she's also a widow because Joseph has passed away. He's not mentioned ever again after the birth narratives. And soon Christ knows eventually I, as the oldest son, will also perish and she'll be left to my younger siblings or by herself. She's probably thinking about his own mom, who he deeply cares about as well. I would also add, he had compassion for her. Because that's what gets Jesus to move throughout the Gospels. When someone is experiencing pain or suffering throughout the Gospels, over and over again, Christ is told to have compassion for that person. And his compassion caused him to act in a mighty, mighty way. And throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, compassion is the idea of being deeply moved by something, and so you act greatly. I'm going to say it again. Compassion is you see someone going through something, and you feel it. You empathize with it in a great way, in a deep way, and you choose to act on their 
behalf. So Jesus felt. That's who he is. That's who God is. Throughout scripture, God is described to be almighty. And he is. All powerful. And he is. All present. And he is. Holy. And he is. But check this out. The number one description of God is not those things, though he is those things. The number one description of God is the fact that he's a compassionate God. Here's my, one of my favorite stories, Exodus 33 and 34. Uh, the Israelites have sinned with, with the, golden, uh, the golden calf. Moses goes to see God and says, God, I want to see who you are. Make yourself known to me, different from anyone before, different from Hagar and even Abraham. Reveal yourself to me. And God says, okay, I will. Check this out. I am the compassionate God. I'm one full of compassion. The, word, the Hebrew word for compassion is rakhum. Everyone say rakhum. Now you know Hebrew. <laughs> rakhum. God is the one who is full of rakhum. Compassion. This deep movement causing you to move on behalf of someone else. In fact, the mom in, in 1 Kings 3 were told that because she had compassion for her son, spoke out and moved on behalf of her little one. Our God is a God full of rakhum, compassion. The number one description of God throughout all of Scripture is that. That's who God is. And because God is full of compassion, if you are in here as a mom, as a woman, God has compassion for you. Like you heard Hagar in the desert, he hears you. He feels what you go through Amen. deeply. Amen. And he hears you. He sees you. You are not unnoticed by him. Amen. And because he sees you, hears you, is with you, he answers. Amen. But here's the thing. His answer may not be what you expect or what you assume. For instance, you may not have biological kids of your own. You might never have them. But could the Lord potentially appoint you to foster care? To adopt? To find a little one here at Prov and with our parents' permission, commit to pray for this little one. To send them notes. You know, I've been blessed with a great mom. Sure, I'm thankful for that. But I've also been blessed with moms who are not my biological moms, who have spoken into my life. Who wrote notes to me in high school when I was having bad dating life experiences to encourage me. Bad basketball games, they wrote, wrote me notes. They, they prayed for me. When I moved to Colorado, one of the people I lived with was a mom who taught me how to cook and do laundry. I've been blessed with moms who have not been my own biological mom. So could the Lord be pointing you towards that direction? Because here's the thing. In doing so, you reveal who our God is. Our compassion to God towards those who do not have moms or who are longing to have moms. Our text here ends with people celebrating. In Christ, the Lord receives the glory. To moms who have lost kids... To women 
who do not have children. To those who do mom actions and mom activities and events and mom things, but are not recognized as a mom. To those who have lost their mom, and today is a very hard day. Our God hears you, sees you, is with you through all of that. And it's through what you're going through that he did not cause or want for you. He makes himself known as a compassionate one. For you, for those around you. So mamas, we thank you for revealing who our God is. Making God known for the good and the bad. Mamas, you endure. You love sacrificially. And so doing, you reveal who our God is. The compassionate God. I would add as well that God is like a mother. Uh Uh-oh, theologically. (laughs) Here we go. We're going there. Well, God is beyond our categorical gender things, right? Male or female, God is beyond that. Throughout Scripture, God makes himself known as a father and as a mother. He tells Israel, Israel, when you were in the desert, I gave birth to you. I raised you. I took care of you like a mom does to a little kid. I would even add this. Rakum, compassion, in Hebrew, comes from the Hebrew word rekhim, which means womb. So God's number one description in scripture, compassion, is connected, is tied to the womb. That is who our God is. It's no wonder Christ says in Luke 13, to his people, I longed to gather you like a mother chicken does, mother hen does to her kids, to protect you from evil and brokenness as only a mom can. You know, I've heard stories about how there's a fire in a chicken coop. The mom, the chicken, the hen will do this, will gather her chicks up, put them beneath her and cover, cover them. She herself will be burned by the fire in order to save her little ones. And guess what? Isn't that what Christ has done for us? He went to the cross for us. He died on our behalf when he did not have to. That's what mothers do for the little ones. God is the one who endures, who loves sacrificially, and who reveals himself as the compassionate God. And so moms, wherever you are at this morning, thank you. Thank you. I can never thank you enough. Let's bow our heads. As I've said, we're all different places this morning. Some are rejoicing, some are sad, some are in between. 
And we want to make sure that we acknowledge that this morning. If you're sitting there thinking, you say, hey, my heart hurts. My heart is rejoicing. In a moment, there'll be um, people here to pray with you and pray for you. I invite you to come and see them. If you're in here, you say, you know what? I, I heard about this God or this Jesus. And I want to experience God as a mother. I invite you to do the same. Lord God, we thank you for our women who have maternal instincts, who love us, who care for us. The difficult days and the good days and anywhere in between. In their endurance, in their uh, sacrificial love, they are making you known as a compassionate God. So we do thank you for being the God who picks us up, holds us close to him as only a mother can. All this, Lord, for your glory and your renown. Amen.